The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. You're listening to the Hidden Yardage Podcast right here on the Blog and the Boys Podcast Network. I'm Mark Lane. Follow me on X at the Real Mark Lane, and you can follow Sean on the uh, site uh, formerly known as Twitter at Sean Martin NFL. Subscribe to us on Apple, Spotify, TuneIn, and Stitcher, and rate us. And uh, you know, give us as many stars as you like. Sean, how are you doing? Never in my life did I think the Hidden Yardage podcast would outlive the blue bird of Twitter, but here we are. Right? This is what happens when you market yourself well. Yeah, I missed a bird, and now retweets or reposts now. It's uh, Everything's quite different, but still a great source for all your Cowboys training camp news and follow all of our BTB channels, of course. You might as well call your, uh, call your shot now, Mark. Not only is our brand here on the show to get ahead of you know, what's going to happen with the Cowboys, and we do normally do a good job of that. But as you know, and I'll tell our listeners, I'm heading back to Montana next week, and good things seem to happen to the Cowboys when I go to Montana. Last year, we had the Dak Prescott interview that you were able to get from his pro camp around this time. So go ahead and uh, call your side on what good Cowboys news we're going to have to cover next week when I'm away. I don't know. My crystal ball is a little bit dusty, so I can't exactly – Look through it this time. And hopefully there's some good Zach Martin news, but I'll be probably looking for probably a little bit early to uh, have a full conclusion to that story, but that would be the one that's on everybody's mind still. Yeah, because, like I said, I mean, that's going to get done. It'll be taken care of by opening day, but it's just that it's in the news and that it's just the drama of it that I think really freaks out fans i did a uh, i had two giants fans friends that wanted to take on the project of picking every game for this season we didn't keep a record of what we picked in each individual game we just you know made the records for each team and i went through and picked the playoffs probably one of my proudest moments is i got two giant you know we had three people picking so whenever two people agreed on a game that's what we went with i got two Giants fans to go with me on the Cowboys having 14 wins, which I'm not even convinced that they'll get a win 14 games, but it was kind of one of those, you know, we sported in the two days, and as you're going, you don't necessarily realize you're building up a team to that point. You're just talking about the matchup, and you're like, well, I think I'll beat them, and then, you know, you keep adding wins to the point of maybe having a team a little bit higher, lower than you should be on. So we, 
know, we'll see how we did. It'll be interesting to bookmark that and and talk about it throughout the year. But yeah, we certainly uh, are collectively high in the Cowboys. Even Giants fans are, of course, worried about not only them but the Eagles. And we'll see if we have three teams come out of the NFC East again for playoff spots. Yeah, and I think that's what tends to happen this time of year when it comes to prognostication is people predict what happened and it's you kind of have to get through the attrition of camp and the preseason games and then you really start to kind of know whether or not a team is going to be able to repeat what they did or continue that momentum it's kind of is it kind of weird like you know We've both been covering the Cowboys for different periods of time, but it's kind of weird, like sitting down, like with, on a, talking about a team with this much of expectations to be playing so late in the year. You know, it almost kind of kills some of the hype for not only just the preseason, but like this early season stuff, because we all legitimately think that this is, you know, the best team that we've seen in the years to have a chance to go play, you know, deep into January and February. So, you know, it's like here we are in August trying to post all these things out and do it for the long run as opposed to trying to, you know, really savor every moment because we knew that if some past teams had playoff success, they were probably overachieving and you have to enjoy, you know, the moments as they come. Whereas this team is, you know, the expectation is firmly that they can play in the last game of the year. So now we have to kind of tamper those expectations all the way through to, uh, you know, just survive the attrition of talking about them in August, but also potentially talking about them in February. Yeah, and that's one of the things we do on the Hidden Yardage podcast is, you know, we kind of like to peek over the uh, horizon a little bit. And one of the peaks that we got this past week was the extension for Malik Hooker, uh, a three-year extension. And so I kick it to you. Do you think that this could be kind of a progress stopper for some of their younger safeties to keep someone like Hooker around for an additional three years as opposed to just letting his contract expire and then just keeping tabs with him throughout um, the offseason and camp or just even re-upping his deal waiting for uh, free agency in March. Yeah, it was interesting to see him get three years. I don't see it as a progress stopper, you know, in the best spin you can put on it. I see it as yet another move for the Cowboys leading up to the season that kind of breaks the previous trends in a good way. You know, they started out at the very beginning of the offseason with the Stephon Gilmore and Brandon Cooks trades. That was uncharacteristic and a big sign that they want to change up how they act and actually contend more and, you know, put this team in the scales, as you said last week, for a championship and another position that we've talked for years before that about them not doing enough and how it was affecting their defense and hurting them with safety and not committing to anybody and not, you know, willing to give the money there. So to me, I saw it as another positive step in the right direction from, you know, fixing a position group that used to be a problem, but it hasn't recently been enough of a problem where I think you necessarily needed to give, you know, three years to Malik Cooker. You're going to get Donovan Wilson back from injury. You're going to still have Jaron Coase. But Malik Cooker, I think, is that guy that, you know, you need in every defense that predicates itself on turnovers that can just make the unpredicted play. You know, it's kind of a miraculous thing that the Cowboys are able to lead the NFL in turnovers. 
two years in a row, that was a huge talking point last offseason as far as what is the regression from the defense going to look like if they can't get turnovers at this high rate, which doesn't usually happen. Sure enough, it did happen. Praise to Dan Quinn on that and just the philosophy he's installed for this defense to take the ball away. And I think a big part of that is Hooker, just being that veteran that can be in the right place at the right time, even going against, you know, play calls at times. Like, I'm supposed to line up here, but I've been in, you know, I've been seeing this play long enough to know the ball's going here. And sure enough, he ends up where the ball is and makes an interception. So you need that level of unpredictability on defense, the same way we've called on the Cowboys offense to have that unpredictability and, you know, counters to what the defense is doing. Hooker's that type of player. It's good to see the Cowboys finally valuing that in a long-term type of deal as they want to keep similar players like that on the field. The only real progress stopper he could be for would be, you know, a guy like Tyler Coyle, who played 21 snaps on defense last year. Marquise Bell could still get some run early in the year because of the injuries of Wilson that we're seeing, but he only played 22 snaps as well, 15 of those all in one big sunk against the Bears. So right now I don't see this too much of a progress stopper. We'll see what they add at safety and how Hooker's performance, you know, trends over the next few years of this contract. But right now it's certainly a good signing and a way to get in on a player that means a lot to the overall way that they want to play defense, which is to get after the ball, of course, and create turnovers. One thing that I'll be interested to see is the details of the contract that include potential outs for the hooker contract, presuming they do find kind of a younger option to replace him, you know, throughout the lifetime of his contract. But I know last week I brought up, you know, why aren't we hearing more about rookie linebacker Demarion Overson being an option at safety, considering he kind of played that way in college at times and it not, you know, being something that you don't want to put too much on his plate too early. It's certainly understandable. So this is a move that helps ease that and gives you an assured option at safety that you know is going to be back there for years to come. Yeah, and do you think that this kind of nixes um, or pigeonholes Kelvin Joseph into just a cornerback? They're not, not going to experiment anymore with him as a safety? It probably does to some extent. You know, there's only so many looks that Dan Quinn could come up with. There's a lot of them. I know we're going to talk about, you know, some different things that he's doing in the front seven that we've seen too. So, it's still a long list of things he can do, but yeah, you don't want to be, you know, rotating in the secondary too much. Cohesion is so important there and communication back there. So I think Joseph is uh, set to see more snaps at cornerback than safety and what that means for his long-term outlook while the Cowboys are already seeing Alex Scott Jr. really play well so far in camp. And of course, you're seeing Gilmore and Diggs do their things. So I think Joseph is firmly right back in the uh, cornerback competition, which is stacked against him pretty good. Yeah, and you talked about it with um, just the different looks that Dan Quinn's defense has been showing throughout training camp. One of them was uh, Leighton Vanderash rushing off the edge. Uh, you know, I, I think sometimes fans get a hold of this information and they think that this is how it's going to be, you know, or that this may show up at some point in the year. But really, I think they're just kind of going through scenarios in case they have to, they you know, find themselves in this type of situation, heaven forbid. I don't know that these packages are necessarily going to get deployed. 
And Vandas playing some defensive end isn't a completely new concept. He actually played 27 snaps in pass rush last year. That's, of course, out of a much larger, you know, 745 total snaps that he played. So it was a small part of his game. He wasn't very effective in it, but it's still a arc that you want to, you know, potentially have and so and develop. And this is a time to do player development. So it's the right time to see if you can get more out of Vandas as a rusher. But it's kind of interesting to see. Cowboys fans, you know, react in the way that they have to it, because I remember when I was way more into the NFL draft build-up process and looking at it through a Cowboys lens, and you know, it was like archaic the way Cowboys fans were, and the team itself was looking at these draft prospects compared to how, you know, if you allowed yourself to go look at how other teams were talking about some of the better players, particularly on defense, and this is the Rob Marinelli days, of course, and you know, you'd have like a dynamic defensive player out of some big SEC school as a blue chip as it gets and can play multiple spots and every other fan base would be like, yeah, we'd love to have him. He can play all these spots in our defense too. Imagine, you know, pairing him with this player and that player and doing all these things. And then Cowboys fans would talk themselves out of the same player. It's like, well, I think he's more of a left end and we actually really only need a, a right end. And yeah, that difference is too much. I mean, it, it was archaic in the way that we pigeonholed every position to have to be a specific thing in this defense. So Quinn has changed that for the better. You know, if we can see it, that Vanderess hasn't played that well at defensive end, you better believe he sees it as well. And it's just something he wants to experiment with as far as what it means when he's down there at end. Who, who can you put out there, a linebacker, to give you some different arcs and some reins and, you know, picture having Parsons and Overstone maybe behind Vanderess rushing, and that gives you a good arc against the pass potentially. So he's messing around with different things, but yeah, Vanderess not that effective as a rusher. We certainly have a deep stable of defensive ends to talk about when it comes to what Parsons does with Sam Williams doing Charmstrong. The list goes on from there, and Oso Digizua is good on the interior. A lot to talk about from a true pass rush perspective to the point where we probably won't even see many Vanderess defensive end snaps, but right now it's something that they did use at times last year, so you're going to see it at camp as well. It reminds me of when they were getting Duran Bland ready to play slot so that when the time came well he was ready it wasn't just like oh crap we got to come up with a slot corner put that fifth round cornerback you know out there um so it just reminds me you just gotta you know have the discernment to recognize what's kind of a scenario just to get you to the end of the game and what's a um, an actual solution that you're going to use as part of a game plan? Yeah, I mean, who knows if the Stephon Gilmore trade actually happens if Bland hasn't played on the inside and you're looking at a potential progress stopper for, you know, just wanting digs and Bland and you still have to build depth behind them. It's, you know, a position where you need a lot of bodies. They did so a little bit in the draft, but... You know, Gilmore has been one of the hits of camp. Even the offense is raving about how much he's, you know, in their back pocket and helping them get better by running the routes for guys like CDLM and Michael Gallup. So who knows if this so far overwhelmingly positive trade even happens if you didn't, you know, have the idea and the vision for a player like Bland to, who mostly played on the outside in college at Fresno State to, you know, transition some of that athleticism to also play on the inside. And now you have a really good young hybrid type defensive back that can, uh, you know, still project into your starting lineup, even with Diggs and Gilmore. Yeah, it's hilarious. Gilmore runs 
the routes or whatever because that's what um, New England Patriots receivers were known for, you know, was uh, their route running. Yeah, I mean, Patriots haven't had a, you know, you got to think back a while to, like, think about the last true, like, really good outside threat that they've had. You know, they made such a living on these inside guys. I can imagine a lot of the practices for a veteran like Gilmore up there in New England maybe got a little bit boring. It's like, hey, I'm just flipping my hips and running with these vertical routes that are clear outs for, you know, these inside guys like Welker and uh, Edelman more recently to, you know, to do their thing, and that worked for the Patriots, but yeah, they, they uh, way, way less than your average team probably throw the ball to the outside. We'll see if that changes under Mac Jones this year, but that was probably a big part of uh, Gilmore's practice time with the Patriots. Yeah, and the Cowboys and Patriots, they hook up this season, and that'll be another fun one um, with those two. Well, Ezekiel Elliott be playing for the road team in that game. Yeah, yeah. Um, he, let me, but, you know, that's down the road. Um, what is on the exit number right now is Cowboys Jaguars and we'll have a chance on hidden yardage to talk about it. Maybe you and I, Sean next week. Um, maybe not. We'll see, uh, that, you know, that I can tell you looking in the crystal ball, uh, you know, we could have something in store for you. That I know. But regardless of how you consume this game, Sean, what are you looking for? What do you want to see out of Cowboys-Jaguars to kick off the preseason? Hey, let me just start by saying it's so great to see a topic like this pop up on our show notes. I mean, all the signs that football is close. This is probably the best one so far that we get to talk about, you know, what you want to see. In a game, of course, preseason week one never lives up to, you know, the same hype that we wanted to when it comes to finally waiting to see the team. And then, you know, after a couple of quarters, it's like a struggle to really, you know, interpret what's going on. You don't want to read too much into down the roster guys, just getting their feet wet, some for the first time in the NFL. But nonetheless, of course, it's going to be great to still see the Cowboys back out there against the Jaguars, a team that in the regular season they lost to in overtime last year in a way that really affected their chance at playoff seating and it was a significant loss so I wanted to go tight end as far as my position group to really focus on because we did a segment a while back on you know where we're going to keep our eyes on the closest to see signs of progress from this new Mike McCarvey slash Brian Schottenheimer offense and we both picked receiver and tight end but you know I think there's still too much going on at you know tight end without being able to break in soon soon maker yet um to use preseason week one to really evaluate either position, you know, especially receiver. We know that someone's going to make a big play and they're going to become a pet cat. And I say, just, you know, be, be patient with that. Use that as a springboard to circle back to week two when we ask this question and then see if that same receiver is making plays. And then we'll talk about them actually making the roster, things like that. So I'm going to go off the running backs though, still on the offense. And you look at that Jaguars game last year, you know, Tony Pollard had 19 carries. That was the second highest of the season. Yeah, he's looked good and ahead of progress at camp, but still don't think we'll see either any of Pollard in this game or very little. And then Ezekiel Elliott had 16 carries in that game, which is just about his average. Now you're talking about playing a game without Pollard, who you know did a lot of the work against the same team last year. Of course, without Ezekiel Elliott, who was 
right in this normal role last year. And that's just a lot of snaps for you guys that we really want to see more from. Malik Davis, Rico Dowdle, of course, Deuce Vaughn, too. And, you know, you put that up against a Jaguars defense that, you know, is projected to be pretty good. And let's just see if this offensive line can get some push, what the offensive lines could look like, too. So there'll probably be more takeaways from the passing game as far as the media goes. And everybody wanted to see what that's going to look like, even without Dak Prescott, who I saw last night. John Machota, he might not play at all this preseason, but of course not against the Jaguars. So to me, it's let's see if we can get some push, get the run game going without Pollard potentially, and see what Malik Davis, Rico Dowdle, and Deuce Vaughn can really do. Uh, running back, I think everybody wants to see because, you know, Ezekiel Elliott's not there, Tony Pollard is not there, and the, just the whole Deuce Vaughn angle. So... I think everybody wants to see what running back looks like. So, you know, that's kind of like the center bingo um, square, if you will. Um, So for me, I want to see linebacker. I want to see what the core looks like as they try to, you know, come up with, different ways to keep Michael Parsons versatile. And I think that's what the deep linebacking core represents. You know, Damone Clark talked about how the game is starting to slow down for him. Well, what does that look like in the context of a game, you know, preseason game where He's getting about 30 snaps. You know, what does a slowed down game look like for Damone Clark? Uh, I'm, you know, <laughs> I'm also interested in the kicking game. Too. Yeah, we have to say it. I mean, it's uh, it wasn't great to start camp. So, we, yeah, we do have to say that, you know, the kicking watch is fully back on. Yeah, because that was something that potentially if not for just the flurry of points in the wild card game could have cost Dallas early in Tampa Bay. And so it just seems like Dallas has been going really cheap. You know, it's like the Dallas roster, the team is a Bentley and, but the, Tires, I'm a little bit concerned where this is going, but the but but the tires that they put on with the kicking game, I mean, they just absolutely don't, Matt. It's like they went to a a uh, discounted tire place. I don't mean the national, you know, I mean like on the side <laughs> of the road, mom and pop shop type of situation and got some refurbished tires from there and then stuck it on the Bentley. That's what it's been like with the kicking game the past two years. And I just don't think that Dallas with their expectations can afford to flub it again, but we'll get an insight into that against the Jaguars. Yeah, it was really interesting. You know, it's interesting to 
again, talk about a team that, you know, we're trying to view through the lens of everything they do, building towards that Super Bowl and championship expectations and how are they handling it. And, you know, you don't think of kickers that high pressure position where they're going to be asked in front of the media, you know, what it's like to, to deal with that. But you, we don't even know if the baseline for this team is, you know, do they have a guy that can, you know, get them three points right now. That's pretty much where we're at. So it's a glaring thing that only comes up when it's bad type of thing. You know, if they do find a good kicker, we'll forget this ever happened. But yeah, right now it's definitely a point of concern. The fans are just kind of looking away from because there's enough other things going on to distract from the potential need for a kicker. But yeah, as soon as you line up for a game, which we're going to do on Saturday here against the Jaguars, and you want to try to put three points on the board and it's an adventure every time. It's something that they're going to be staring at why they didn't necessarily find a, a different way to address it. But I'm so glad you brought up Damone Clark. I mean, what is it about this player that we just don't remember him? I, like, Kyle Humans was on our other Monday show, First and Ten, from DallasCowboys.com last week, I think, and he even predicted Damone Clark for a bold take to make the Pro Bowl this year. I mean, for whatever reason, when, you know, you look at the step chart and you try to talk about what they're doing on defense, of course, there's talent everywhere, and maybe that's what distracts you, but in the linebacker conversation, somehow a starting type player like Damone Clark never comes up. And I, I don't know why we do it. I'm guilt, as guilty as, of anybody as it and not including him in my you know projections and articles and stuff. But yeah, Damone Clark, good player that nobody talks about. Hopefully he continues that trend so that he's for, you know he forces us to uh, to talk about him. But I'm really glad you brought him up as as a whole in the picture of linebacker as far as what he could do and what that means to the rest of the defense. Yeah, I, I think some of it is just the fact that, you know, he's, you know, he's young. Um, and you've already got uh, uh, Micah Parsons as a linebacker. So, you know, I think that draws attention to it. But Parsons isn't really a linebacker per se. He's really kind of like a shortstop. I mean, I don't know that there's a, I don't know what you would qualify, you know, classify him as because Parsons has the ability to do so much. I mean, and I think that's why people then overlook Clark is because it's just like, well, no, Parsons is, they are back there already with Leighton Van Rash. So, you know, we're, and so they're not looking so much at the way you measure, um, the way you measure just uh, dependability in the Dan Quinn system isn't necessarily by starting position, but by snaps and playing time. And I think that's, what leads people like humans to say, you know, Damone Clark, because he's seeing more of those snaps in his given role uh, in Quinn's defense. And so, but I think Parsons has people thinking, oh, linebacker. And then that just sucks away the air from Clark. I mean, that that peak year where the Cowboys had Van Der and Jalen Smith both playing great, and we thought that was the linebacker duo for years to come. I mean, I think there's a chance you get that same level of play between Van Der and Clark this year, and then you can add in 
however, uh, third round pick to maybe in overzone develops, you can add in, you know, a lot of other names that are capable of playing snaps at linebacker, which even includes some of your safety type hybrids, of course, like Donovan Wilson when he comes back and guys like Jaron Coast. But as far as true linebackers going to help this run defense, you know, you could see a really great year from the duo of Clark and Vanderess, and that would mean really great things for this defense, staying elite and taking that next step and being a really formidable defense again. I do like the way that, and this is why it just feels different, is they have Parsons. They could just have him play linebacker. But no, they keep taking linebacker. That's not what would have happened five to seven years ago. It would have been, we got our linebacker, we're good. But instead, they keep taking. That's why a lot of teams passed on Parsons. I mean, just nobody saw the pass us potential that the Cowboys necessarily did. That's why Dan Quinn is so highly regarded at the star. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Let's go ahead and shift, though, to Canton, Ohio, where DeMarcus Ware was enshrined into uh, the Pro Football Hall of Fame over the weekend, along with uh, former Cowboys linebacker Chuck Howley. Um, but it, you, Ware. When you think the Marcus Ware, you know, he's the Dallas Cowboys leader in sacks. He's probably going in the ring of honor. But he had to finish his career the last three seasons with the Denver Broncos and won a Super Bowl with them as well, which I think really, you know, helped his Hall of Fame uh, credentials. But let me ask you, Sean, just where are the Cowboys at as a franchise when where has to blend his Hall of Fame, you know, induction like this? I mean, this kind of reminds me a little of what happens in Major League Baseball, where take Pudge Rodriguez. Rangers legend, but he had to go to elsewhere to get 
that World Series ring. And then he goes in the Hall of Fame. Where are the Cowboys at as a franchise when their, you know, franchise leaders and greats just have to leave to go get their hardware elsewhere? Yeah, it's an interesting conversation. You know, I feel like in this particular case, I almost want to give, you know, the Cowboys and the Marcus Weber pass on this one in a weird way. You know, we've talked before about, you know, how Jerry's been very public about the list of players that you know, he can he regrets not having a better team around and wanting to do better by some of these Hall of Fame, Ring of Honor type players. But, you know, in Ware's case, I feel like it's an example done right for the most part. You know, of course we wish that some of his Cowboys teams had better talent all around him and he could have been on better teams. But, you know, I feel like it's a, a good example of, you know, a guy who ran his course here a bit, not that he wasn't playing well, when he left, because he did go on and be a really key piece to a Broncos Super Bowl team, but, you know, ran its course over nine years, got the most out of him, and it's okay to, you know, see a player go to a different team at that point, which he did, and, you know, the fact that he won the Super Bowl was so much about the defense, of course, but also, you know, the Broncos had Peyton Manning, and what they were trying to build in a short self-life around him, so, yeah, I feel like it's an example done right when the Cowboys have so few of these as far as players that, move on and find success elsewhere and you use it as a way to, you know, shake your head and find out why they couldn't have played that same way there. And that's not to excuse Jerry and the Cowboys of other players that they certainly could have done better by the most vocal he's been, uh, you know, talking about in that light would be Tony Romo and not having a championship team around the other, like the other great quarterbacks that have come through Dallas have had for Romo. So, now that goal sifts to Dak Prescott, who also has a defense that is probably better than almost any of the ones that Marcus Ware played for, certainly with the Cowboys and almost, you dare to say, with the Broncos. But yeah, in this case, I feel like it's a, you know an example done right as far as a player who truly just had a good career with two teams and was classy in the way he talked about both in his Hall of Fame speech and mentioned teammates that were influential, not just in Dallas, but Denver as well. Yeah, and it reminded me, I don't know that it'll ever get to the Hall of Fame, but it reminded me of Everson Walls because he was such a leader and a paragon in the Cowboys' secondary throughout the entire 1980s. And then in 1990, he signs with the New York Giants, and he gets a Super Bowl there with the Giants. But, you know, he's still regarded as just such a, you know, an example in the Cowboys secondary when you look back at the history. But unfortunately, he had to go elsewhere to get that ring. Now, people listening to this right now, go on Wikipedia, type in Dallas Cowboys Ring of Honor. The only player. Well, on there, who had to go elsewhere to get his Super Bowl is, well, nobody. And that's what I'm saying <laughs> is, you know, have players left before? Yeah, like Larry Allen and Tony Dorsett. But they achieved their 
winnings in Dallas. They didn't have to go elsewhere to keep adding to their resume. And that, I think, is the problem. So is that some foreshadowing that it's going to be an uphill battle for DeMarcus Ware to make the ring of honor? Oh, by no means, no. Yeah, he deserves to be up there. You know, I don't want this to turn into the next, you know, why is Jimmy not up there thing? Of course, you know, coach and player is different, but yeah, hopefully they see it in the same light of, you know, how I just talked about it when it comes to, you know, a player that really just gave everything he could to Dallas and it was time for a change of scenery and the contract numbers were a factor, you know, more than you would potentially like to see when it comes to keeping a fan favorite player, of course, around a little bit longer, but his time with the Broncos still showed that, you know, he was that top player and the majority of his career though was still here in Dallas where he used to be remembered in the ring of honor and, you know, we, we expected that will happen now that he's a pro football hall of famer as well. I think he'll get into Cowboys ring of honor for sure. I'm just saying, you know, he's kind of like a Pud Rodriguez, if you will. And it's just, I, that's not how the other uh, ring of honor members careers went, you know, um, they, got their winnings and that and I think that along with other things I think the stage has finally been built up big enough that I just we'll make season predictions later but I think there really is at last an all-in push from the executive level to repeat what happened in the 90s we're certainly seeing it, you know, build that way. And, um, you know, to talk about them here while camp is still going on and the preseason is just getting underway this week is, you know, something that you have to tamper the expectations to, to make it all the way through. But, you know, like I've said, this is the earliest that I can remember, you know, automatically talking about this team as a championship contender. And it doesn't feel forced. It doesn't feel, you know, like, uh, you know, just blue and silver tinted, seeing everything through a blue and silver tinted lens of, you know, oh, well, this is the team we cover, so of course this is how we should talk about them. You know, we've always been honest about it, and even some of the teams that the national media was trying to say, oh, could this be the year, you know, Jerry gets it done, was more about them just trying to set up expectations that weren't really there, so that when they came crashing down, they could say, oh, what happened to this team that wasn't even really that good on paper? Of course, on paper, this team is as stacked as we think they, you know, have ever been, and how they put those pieces together is a long haul to uh, start on Saturday against the Jaguars and go from there before we get into those predictions. But yeah, there is a push to leave no stone unturned and, you know, give a safety, a long-term deal. That hasn't happened. Trade for a receiver to finally try to solidify a pass the game around Dak Prescott. That's consistent. That hadn't been happening. And of course the Gilmore trade was the biggest sign of, you know, adding something in a position where you already felt like you were pretty set. And to me, that is, the number one mark of how you build a championship team is by overloading a position of talent and making it that much of a strength and something that, you know, really gives you a stark advantage in the game. And this Cowboys secondary has a chance to do that as far as the pass rush being in sync with them too and quarterbacks not having a place to throw. You know, we could be looking at a type of doomsday defense of their own when it comes to what this Cowboys secondary plays it playing up to their potential, playing up to their potential could be. By the way, Sean's not wrong. When it comes to building up the Cowboys to tear them down later, um, when I was at 
the Texas Sports Hall of Fame induction for some, you know, a handful of media members in May of 2022. One of them who went in was Randy Galloway, who, you know, long time talk radio and uh, had a column in the morning news and the Fort Worth Star-Telegram for many decades. Just, you know, such a fixture. Um, Ed Werder, who presented him, told a story about how uh, um, Galloway said, you know what, you know, just during, before the, in the break, before the show, you know, the radio show, um, what's your prediction for the Cowboys this season? And Werder said, oh, you know, 10 and 6, I think, you know, this and that. And Galloway said, no, you got to predict <laughs> higher, something they can't achieve. So when they don't, we can rip them. So that I mean that's been going on for years, but that but it really does feel different this year, and I don't want to blow a bunch of hot air about it. I think I mean I would have been in high school at this point, but my clearest like remembrance of what you just said would be was it the 2010 season where the AT and T Stadium hosted the Super Bowl and the Packers ended up yes. Winning? That team, just be, just on the sheer fact alone that the Cowboys had a chance to beat a home team in the Super Bowl, for whatever reason, without even looking at the roster, it felt like I just remember the national media ran of that. And they're like, well, why not make this the Cowboys here? Because the, the drought's been going on, but they could do it at home, and that would be epic. And then they finished 6-10 because I'm looking at this roster right now. And, I mean, of course they did. It was, you know, Jason Witten was your leading receiver as far as catches. Miles Austin below that. Felix Jones. So it just wasn't at all a team that could really be taken seriously as a championship contender, but just because they happened to be bringing in the Super Bowl, that team got talked about as one that set up championship expectations and underperformed from a point that they never should have been considered in the first place. Indeed. Well, consider these Cowboys birthdays, Sean. On Monday, Al Shermond Singleton, linebacker, played with Dallas from 03 to 06, turns 48 years old, on Monday, and he's from Newark, New Jersey, which is a, a stone's throw from my college uh, town. I used to take the train to Newark to go catch some New Jersey Devils games, which is, of course, New Jersey's only uh, remaining pro league team. The NBA's Nets are gone. and uh, Well, you could say the Jets and Giants, of course, play there, but they carry the New York name, and the Devils are the only New Jersey team, and they play in Newark, so familiar with the area, and uh, the Cowboys have a player for a couple of years there from 03 to 06 from there. Firmly in the uh, Taylor Ham territory, which is unfortunate. And what do you think Central Jersey exists? Uh, someone from Newark. That's tough. Newark is like a little kind of bubble type town where, you know, it's like a small city, so you don't have to leave to really do anything. Uh, I'm going to go with no. If you, if you had a chance to ask Singleton, you'd probably say no. All right. Now on Wednesday, Deion Sanders turns 56 years old, played with Dallas from 94 to 95. Now, he's what you would consider a mercenary, and even he acknowledges it. Not really somebody you put in the ring of honor, and what I think different from Ware, in that 
wherever Sanders went as a free agent, they won, and that was his legacy, a la Daryl Rivas. We don't talk a lot of college football on here, but what are your expectations for Dion as a Division One coach at Colorado? I think that he has them at 500, goes to a bowl, and quotes <laughs> all season. That you can, the, the, the lighter you can count on, he's been rocking the cowboy hat on the sidelines. I appreciate that. So, you know, it's interesting to see a, a former cowboy like that, though, jump into, you know, such a big opportunity. Usually they're pretty calculated as far as they know post-career that there's going to be opportunities, but they're meticulous about how they work their way into, you know, jobs that still keep you in the public eye from a football perspective because everybody somehow still, you know, it keeps the, the book open, if you will, on your NFL legacy almost. And, you know, for Dion, he, he should be an exception because he's already in the Hall of Fame and the Super Bowl champion and done everything you could possibly do on the field in the game. But, you know, it keeps your options open as far as if you do happen to stay in the game as a coach or a broadcaster and completely just fail at it and almost gets attached to your playing legacy and drags the whole picture of what you were down as a former Cowboy more than probably any other team. You know, if a former Jaguar went and did this, nobody would compare it to. But, yeah, with Cowboys, it just becomes one long running thing to, you know, see what they do post-Dallas just because so many players do find success. And, you know, we're wishing that on Dion, of course. But, yeah, to go from Jackson State to Colorado and take on the task of being a major conference head coach is a very interesting thing to keep an eye on. I know many Cowboys fans and college fans around the country will be keeping an eye on what happens with a team that really struggled a lot last year, of course, but has a lot of hope thanks to Dion and the transfer portal and trying to turn around a, a program there at Colorado. And on Thursday, Jamaica Rector turns 42 years old. He played receiver in 2006. Just another example, Sean, of Oh my gosh, pet cat. He was doing so great in preseason because Terrell Owens had a hamstring strain. So a lot of undrafted rookies were getting their reps and looking good. And, you know, you see how good it looked. Then on Friday, Kayvon Frazier, safety, turns 29. He's with Dallas from 2016 to 2019. Those are your Cowboys' birthdays. Fraser from Grand Rapids, Michigan, a place that I visited, in nice area there in Michigan, and was a fan favorite type of player for the short time. He was here with the Cowboys. Now, Mark, I have a quick point to make to you. I am uh, not sure exactly how to send it back up on my X timeline. That's not, that still sounds so stupid to say, but somebody, you know, I think it was like someone, you know, I was already in the thread and somebody liked it, and so that sends it back for a notification or whatever. But and this is going way back now, though. You tweeted before the draft sometime that if the Cowboys take a defensive tackle in the first round, all by you and you being a very general sense, it wasn't at me, somewhere in the NFL, it was, you know, just you being the reader to however many thousand followers you have, I will buy you a Daniel Webster cigar. Now, being a good friend, doing three seasons of the show and ongoing, I'm not going to hold you to that, but I do want you to tell me what the hell is the deal with these cigars? Because I tried to look it up one time and they must be so rare that I couldn't even find like any information about them. So educate us on what these uh, fancy cigars are. Okay, so Daniel Webster, um, you know, he was Secretary of State. He was a senator um, back in the 
1830s and in John Wayne movies when he gets in a situation like I was in where you just doubt that the Cowboys are going to go in that direction. That's what you say is, well, you know, if that happens, I'll buy you a Daniel Webster cigar. Um, or, you know, one that John Wayne said in the movie The Searchers was he said, that'll be the day, which, of course, um, was a, also a Buddy Holly song. I think the Buddy Holly song was based on what John Wayne said in um, The Searchers. Uh, but you, you didn't find anything on it, huh? Well, let me do a quick check again. I thought it was going to be something like, you know, I could, like, that was an axle, just, you know, I'm not really a cigar guy, and I thought it was just going to be something that, like, comes up right away of, like, oh, this must be just some really expensive, fancy cigar, and that's why he's saying that, but, yeah, it kind of just, uh, comes up with a lot of really vague, uh, so it's just, there's a antique website I'm looking at here, it says you can get a U.S. Webster, just a tin, cigar tobacco tin for $45, so that probably tells you all you need to know about how much one of the cigars would actually be. I found evidence here in uh, True Grit from 1969. Um, I'm going to go ahead and tweet that out so people can take a look at it at the real Mark Lane. It's from a TikTok, <laughs> so I don't know how the rest of the world handles that stuff. But there you go. Just tweeted it out. And you can take a look at it. That's what I'm referencing when I say I'll buy you a Daniel Webster cigar. Looking forward to taking a look at that. Looking forward to a little bit of a little bit of time off before we regroup for the rest of the preseason. So like I said, good things happen to the Cowboys when I'm in Montana. So anything good that happens this week, go ahead and at me on Twitter, Salmart in NFL and uh, you know, give me all the praise for it because clearly it is my doing to and uh, to cause whatever good news we're going to get coming out of the Jaguars game and beyond that. So looking forward to talking to you after that. All right. So there it is. Yeah.